What's up? I'm Amanda Costco, and you're listening to the Electric Runway Podcast, a podcast exploring the intersection of fashion and technology. Up until this point on the podcast, we've talked about fashion tech from a wearable's perspective. We've spoken with garment engineers and fashion designers who helped us imagine a future where our clothing is embedded with sensors, microcontrollers, and haptic feedback. Today, we're going to shake it up a bit and talk about retail tech. If you're confused about the difference between retail tech and fashion tech, I'd suggest listening to episodes three and four of the podcast, where we speak with Miki Yehara of SF Fashion Tech. We go over the difference in detail, but to summarize, in my mind, fashion tech is a part of the wearable technology ecosystem, whereas retail tech is all about the way fashion and technology intersect with commerce. What excites me about retail tech is that it's all about the way we shop, and innovative companies are laying the groundwork for the way we'll shop in the future. That brings me to today's episode, where I take you inside Silicon Valley to the Poshmark headquarters to speak with Tracy Sun, the company's co-founder. Those airplanes you hear in the background are because we're near the airport. For those of you who don't know, Poshmark is a leading platform for buying and selling fashion. Poshmark invites you to shop the closets of women across America and also enables you to sell items from your closet. We all know that fashion is fickle. Trends change, and if you're like me, so does your style and your size. I think there's a lot of listeners who can relate to the idea of buying a top or a pair of shoes, wearing them once or twice, and then having them sit in your closet unused. While Poshmark may have emerged as a pioneer of re-commerce, that is, the digital reselling of used goods online, today, four and a half years later, the company has its sights set on something much bigger. Today on Poshmark, one in five items sold is brand new. Recently, the company launched a feature that connects power users to brands. Selected users are able to purchase products from brands wholesale and sell it in their own showroom. So in addition to providing a marketplace where women can resell their clothing, Poshmark also enables women to learn the skills needed, such as marketing and merchandising, to run an online store. The thread throughout Poshmark is female empowerment through fashion, which makes this episode appropriate to share this week on the heels of International Women's Day. Right now, my conversation with Tracy Sun, co-founder of Poshmark. So Tracy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me, Amanda. So for those who don't know what Poshmark is, tell us about it. How old is it? How many employees do you have? And how many users right now? Sure. So uh, first off, for those who don't know, Poshmark is primarily a mobile app, but we also have a website, and it's a place where any woman can pretty much launch her own fashion store. You can start with your closet, or you can um, run a full-on boutique with retail inventory as well. We launched about four and a half years ago, so the team, the early team's been working on it for about five years. So young, but not, I'd say we're kind of in our teenage years, we're not quite infants anymore. We have a hundred people in our Bay Area office, and we have about 1.5 million women who have started a store on our site. So they're sellers on the site, and it's just been growing astronomically. So let's pretend I've never been on the app or the uh, site before. Walk me through the new user experience, just signing up. Sure. So the first thing you do, most likely, is I'm going to guess you have an iPhone. So you go to the App Store, search for Poshmark, or we're, we're often featured in like the fashion or shopping section. Download it, open it up, and the first thing we'll do is we'll ask you to create a username and password with a photo. So a lot of people get surprised because they think they're downloading a marketplace selling like eBay type app. But the part of Poshmark that makes it most exciting is we're also kind of like a Instagram. So it's a social network. 
So we'll start to ask you questions so that we can match you with people so you can build your network, your fashion network on Poshmark. So you'll go through a few screens where we ask you about brands, we ask you about your size information, and we use this data to power your experience. It's a few screens once you hit enter, you'll land in what is the core Poshmark experience, which is our, your shopping feed. And your shopping feed, this is where the Silicon Valley technology really shines with Poshmark, is that the feed that you see is always customized for you at that particular moment. So it's based on data we collect. And as you start to play around with Poshmark more and more, we gather more and more data and revector the feed on the fly. From there, you can shop around uh, like a typical e-commerce site or many people, the first thing they do is like, I want to I wanna participate. I want to get some listings up. And because listings are free and it's so easy, you can you know get a something from your closet up online on Poshmark for sale in about a minute or two. Yeah, I downloaded the app recently because you can't get it in Canada right now. So oh, when I came right. to the U.S., it was one of the first things that I did, and I actually brought some things with me because yeah. I want to see if I So wanna... was that a pretty accurate description? Absolutely, yeah. Okay. I, I think that, that it did surprise me that it was you know, more focused on me and what I liked. I thought that I was going to be more so just looking at things right away. Mm-hmm. And I was interested in the in the whole sort of community aspect, which I'm sure we'll get to later is, is a big part of, of Poshmark. So where did the idea come from? To understand the idea of Poshmark, you have to kind of rewind your brain four or five years ago. And I'm talking, because things are moving so fast in the technology world. So imagine Instagram. If you are early adopter, you might have just heard of Instagram. But certainly there weren't that many users on it. And certainly only the most tech-savvy people are using it. Most people didn't even have iPhones yet. I think the App Store had just launched a year before we launched Poshmark. So these, these are really early, early times where having an app or a mobile experience was not talked about. And what we decided to do is go mobile first. So we were primarily only mobile for the first three years of the business. And even today, 90, 95% of our engagement and commerce comes from, from mobile. So going back to your question about how you know this idea got started, it was a, a blend of the various experiences of all the founders. So My background, I'm originally from the New York area and I come from the fashion world. So I brought a lot of that consumer and fashion knowledge and the CEO and founder and and also the other two founders are technical co-founders. They brought just the deep product and technology experience and we brainstormed and and thought through like, wow, so not only do we think this, this is a huge need, but the way that technology was evolving, it was a perfect kind of snowballing effect of all these needs plus technology enabling opportunities coming together. Yeah, so you mentioned your co-founders. So Manish Chandra has a master's degree in computer science and Gaitam Gawala comes from engineering. You studied business, but you mentioned you have a background in fashion. Tell us about that. So I've been in fashion for about 10 years and always in some sort of startup kind of pioneering type role. I've never really done traditional fashion. It started with, I was one of the first employees and head of merchandising at a brand called Brooklyn Industries based in New York. And at that time, again, if you rewind 10 years ago, this is a time where Brooklyn was not cool, really. It wasn't that safe. Uh, the, the Main Street Driggs and, and Bedford were certainly not someplace you would hang out at late night. And so this brand was one of the first like Brooklyn-type brands to emerge, and it did men's and women's streetwear. And there, I really learned to just love fashion. And the reason I love fashion is because I love that it is a form of artistic expression that everybody participates in. 
whether you tend to be more fashionable or whether you're an engineer at Poshmark that's wearing flip-flops and a t-shirt, those are all statements that you choose to make about yourself. So I really love it there and, and I really learned to appreciate the industry. I, I was involved with fashion design, merchandising, the whole, the whole gamut really, which is the amazing part of working at a startup. And, and since then I've been drawn more and more to the technology side of fashion, mainly because it's just so amazing what you can do when you really marry technology with any sort of consumer industry. And so in your experience, what would you say that fashion can learn from technology and technology can learn from fashion? You know, that's such a good question because I come from New York, which is obviously very fashion focused, very much about building an amazing brand and, and really connecting emotionally to your, to your users. And then I come out here and not everyone is like this, but Silicon Valley culture as a whole is really about technology and is it scalable and is it mobile, social, local and things like that, they're not talking about building brands, they're talking about user acquisition and things like that. So what's interesting about Poshmark is that we really have focused on building a bridge between these two cities and these two cultures, these two industries, because to build a sustainable business in fashion, we believe you really, really, really have to understand and respect the fashion industry and the emotional connection that people have to fashion. Now on the flip side, what's been very difficult for a lot of fashion brands and retailers today is that a lot of them have a lot of trouble scaling past a certain revenue amount. They build these beautiful brands and beautiful businesses that we all know and love, but the truth is that underneath the covers, when you look at the actual economics of the business, it's actually not doing that well. and They can't get past their niche audience. So I think that the fashion industry has something to learn from Silicon Valley in that we're constantly out here, we're constantly thinking about, okay, that's great, you're at a certain revenue, you're at $20 million, how do you get to 100? You're at 100, how do you get to 500? You're at 500, how do you get to a billion dollars? And these are numbers that a lot of fashion brands don't think about, uh, but we obsess about it over here. So um, I think when you combine these two worlds together, you can create a brand that that is just beloved in the fashion world, that it can actually get to be truly a global, global brand. So we talked about how Poshmark is mobile. How is it local and social? Oh, okay. So uh, first of all, I never claimed to have all those buzzwords, but, <laughs> but, it, but fortunately, now that I'm we kind of do it. have it. Yeah. Um, so mobile, mobile is just like a, it's like a platform. That by itself is not as interesting for us. I think what mobile enables us to do is it enables us to build a very strong community and a very engaged community. So to understand Poshmark, one of the things you have to understand is, yes, we're a marketplace and you can buy and sell items, but why is Poshmark successful? It's not just because you can buy and sell items. It's also because you come and you meet friends you know, that share the same love for a brand that you obsess over. You, someone buys from you and then they, they form, you form a bond with them and you want them to buy more and more things. You find a fashion blogger that started an indie jewelry line that they're offering for sale and you're so obsessed because you can't find it anywhere else. So there are all these, these human connections that people make with one another and that's what enables, that, that, that's what causes such an addictiveness to Poshmark. It's not necessarily the money. It's the same reason why you might come to Pinterest every day or you might go to Instagram every day or Snapchat and so as a result, our daily engagement really looks like that of a social network. So it's funny, you look at some of our metrics, 
we don't look like a commerce company at all. It's all about just addictiveness. So our users spend on average about 25 minutes a day in the app, which is unheard of for an e-commerce site. Now, in order to do that, it's really hard if you're a desktop destination. So part of the reason why we have such a great social community is because we chose to invest in mobile. And it's really hard. Uh, a lot of e-commerce companies or a lot of companies will say, oh, our main site is here, but oh, we need to have a mobile site too. Let me get a small team to just develop a mobile site. So what happens is your mobile site is usually not as robust. At Poshmark, everything is mobile. So really our website's not that great. It's our mobile experience that is great. And the result is you think about it, like you know, engaging on Poshmark, kind of like texting with your friends, it's right in your pocket at all times. It's real time, near real time communication with people. So it's, it's not uncommon to have a back and forth, you know, essentially a text exchange with some of your friends on, on Poshmark. So that, that social component is there partly because we bet so much on mobile. On the local side, one of the marketing tools that we used early on in order to build our community is to throw a lot of live events. And so I personally and, and so much of our team has traveled to meet people and we bring, let's say we go to Seattle, we'll bring uh, together a whole bunch of fashionistas in Seattle to get together and just celebrate fashion. And sometimes you talk about Poshmark, sometimes you don't, and that's okay, but we're forming those connections. And what we see is those local connections come into Poshmark and strengthen the entire Poshmark community. So. That's why local events have always been something that we've invested in. And those are posh parties. As I understand it, the posh parties sort of started as these actual physical events, but now they, they take place online as well. Yes. Yes. So, so we, yeah. have, we have two different kinds of posh parties. One is where we will actually have a team travel and throw an event, and they used to be pretty small. We'd have 20 or 30 attendees. Recently, we had a posh party where we had over 700 RSVPs. So they, they get quite big, and those are more just like people to meet each other. And it's funny because sometimes at these events, these live events, people know each other by their usernames, but they've never met in real life. And it's such a weird experience to see how much joy it can be to meet one of your virtual friends in, in real life. Or somebody whose closet you've been following. Yeah, because then fashion is one of those things where you really form an emotional connection. If you are following a closet and you're just obsessing over their style and then you meet them in real life, it's almost like meeting a celebrity. So these meetups or posh parties are always very delightful to experience because it's just pure joy, which is which is awesome. So speaking of the, the let's say, celebrity or power users, do you know anyone who's doing this full-time? Oh my gosh, so many. We have lots of different types of users. I think the way I see Poshmark, our user base or our seller base, is, is it almost resembles what I imagine modern-day America to be. So we have some of your you know, typical blogger fashionistas who have amazing style and have really committed to making a, a lifestyle off of their style. But we also have people in rural towns in Arkansas and Wisconsin and North Dakota and Alaska poshing from their phones and they have a different type of style and both are pretty important to the Poshmark ecosystem. I think when we started we thought that maybe it was the blogger style, the really trendy style that would prevail but the truth is that's not what everybody wants, right? Like there's a place for the girl next door type of style because it's accessible and you can actually feel what it an outfit might look like on you when it's someone that you imagine is a girl next door. So going back to your question about what our user looks like, I think they come in all shapes and sizes. I think they come from all over the country. They're also, they really span in ages. So I know of 
a 13-year-old posher who's made quite a bit of money. I also know of a 70-year-old posher, and sometimes mom and daughters do it together. So yeah, it's very, very diverse. So in 2013, users were uploading a million dollars worth of inventory every day. Tracy, can you share with us some numbers that are more recent? And also, I'm assuming that Poshmark makes money by taking a percentage of of the transactions, is Mm -hmm. that correct? Yeah, so we've grown a lot since 2013. Today, it's much more common to see three or four million dollars worth of inventory uploaded every day. So, So today, how it works is listing is completely free. And that I think is, it's different. So eBay, for example, you have to pay for a listing. And by making a listing free, what we're doing is we're really encouraging people to get started. And so that's why part of the reason why we have such strong engagement from our sellers. It's like, there's no reason not to try it. It's mobile, it's easy, it's free. And then we only make money if you make money. So our business model is we take 20% commission off of each sale, and then the seller gets to keep 80%. And what we do with that 20% is we use it to obviously cover the cost of running the business, but also we offer other services to make it easy for our sellers. So we we handle all the relationships with the credit card providers. Oftentimes, all times when you make a transaction, the credit card companies will take a, a cut. So we cover that fee for the credit cards. We also cover some of shipping. We have a great partnership with USPS where we have a Posh Post label that already keeps costs really low and then we subsidize a little bit more and then we have a team of customer service personnel that really support all of our sellers so you know running a business is sometimes not easy and there's things that are fun like taking photos and being creative and then there are things that are not so fun like negotiating with visa or usps and so we try to take care of all the unfun things so that our sellers can focus on what makes them great which is merchandising and and creativity and so one of those services that I read about was a concierge service for luxury items over $500 at one point doing this at no charge uh, to shoppers. You were sort of screening items to make sure that they were real. Are, yep. you, are you still doing that? We are absolutely still doing that. And in fact, we launched that, I think, a year or two ago. And the, uh, so, okay, so how the program works is that um, if an item is over $500, we automatically reroute the package, the sale, to our authenticators here at Poshmark headquarters. And we have a team of highly trained authenticators that are either, they're trained in the brand themselves, or we have a network of authenticators across the country for some more specialty items that we need just extra verification on. And and once we determine that everything is, is authentic, and appropriate, then we repackage it really nicely and ship it off to, to the buyer. And the cool thing is, is we're so good at doing this that it only adds about 24 hours to the shipping, and we have super fast shipping. So when you order luxury on Poshmark, you, the average time it takes for you to get is about four or five days, which is amazing. We've, we have had, so right now the service is free for all items that are over $500, and we have been really overwhelmed with the requests from our community to offer the same service for items under $500. And, um, and they'll, they'll pay for it, because it, you know, it, it costs us some money to do it. So we've had people saying, I want you to authenticate my Tory Burch, my Rebecca Minkoff, and I'm happy to pay you 20, 30 bucks to do so. Interesting. So are you telling me that there are people here who are full-time that are authenticators? And Yes. Wow. Yes. <laughs> That's a really interesting job. What, is that their title? 
Uh, it's not their title. They're, we usually, um, the department's called our concierge service. Okay. So they're part of, part of the concierge team. Interesting. Um, we see it as not just about authentication, but more about providing a service. Absolutely. Right? Because the reason for us to do it is not necessarily that we want to, wanted to get in the business of authentication. It was more to us about customer service. So we know that when someone buys a Chanel flat bag, um, it's not just the bag that she's buying. It is the dream of the bag, the romance of the brand, the potential of what that could do for her, you know when she adds it to her wardrobe. And if something comes and it's not in good condition, or there's just even a question that it might not be authentic, and that she supported you know a knockoff of a brand that she loves, right? That is such a terrible experience for the buyer that we wanted to make sure that we never provide that type of experience here. And so. Through our concierge service, we, we include a little card that says, like, you are good to go. We have checked this item. Now just love this handbag as you would and don't even worry about anything. And we have the Poshmark stamp of approval. So it's almost just removing anything that might get in the way of just you connecting with something that, that you purchased. Absolutely. And the whole rerouting of the package gives your concierge service the opportunity to repackage it and just really frame that experience for the uh, for the shopper. And I have to say that team, not only are, do they have such an amazing job and they're doing such amazing work, but I mean, can you imagine every day they get to open up luxury couture that's coming through the system? So one of my favorite things to do is to walk over to the concierge team and just see like what came in today and just because the quality of the garments are just you know amazing and, and beautiful to see and i'm sure it feeds your love for fashion on oh a daily, yeah daily basis yeah. you're having that like little eye filled. candy you know yeah absolutely <laughs> we've been hearing a lot about re-commerce lately why do you think it's so popular is it a sign of our economic times is it an offshoot of the sharing economy what's your take gosh i think you know probably a little bit of everything i think that re-commerce well, first of all, e-commerce has always really been there, right? In your local consignment shop. I remember consignment shopping when I was in college. I think what, what you're referring to is just the emergence of a lot of online uh, consignment shops. And that's really just, you know, Silicon Valley getting in there. So is it new? No, I don't think it's new. Is it something that's been brought to more people because of technology? I think absolutely yes. Does the economy play a role in it? I think so. But I also think that... The joy of re-commerce is appealing to those people who are looking for something different. So I imagine that re-commerce also became a trend shortly after Zara and H&M and Forever 21 became really popular because you started to realize that, you know, I personally love these brands too, but they're very fast fashion and they tend to flood the market with certain types of styles. And so in the fashion world where you're looking for um, a form of expression and individuality um, going for consignment goods is a great way to find like unique pieces that you wouldn't find elsewhere. And it's also what really differentiates shopping on Poshmark from shopping at a local consignment store is you get to tap into the story of who the person is, where it came from, and how they wore it or styled it. Again, it taps back into that idea of community, which is we talked about so central. Absolutely, and I think I think the other thing that's that's great is that. Um, you know, we don't have just one consignment store, right? We have 1.5 million, and we use our data and our algorithms to customize which stores you might see. So it's almost like bringing the entire country of consignment stores into your back pocket with your phone. What I'm really excited about is that while we started with gently used goods or items out of your closet, a lot of these, you know, quote-unquote consignment stores on Poshmark 
are starting to open up boutiques as well. So what's cool about that is if you love someone's closet on Poshmark and they're selling stuff out of the closet, it's also that same eye and that same merchandising and style that is enabling that user or woman to create her boutique as well. And the thing I know about shoppers is it's not like, oh, I only shop resale, I only shop retail. It's like, I'm looking for awesome items at awesome prices and I want to feel beautiful, right? So you can leverage all these existing relationships you have with the sellers on Poshmark that you love. And now you can let them show you a whole new world of merchandise, which is like retail fashion. So what's the ratio of people who are selling reused items versus new things? Do some people have both in their store? Yes. So uh, today about more or less a fifth. So one out of every five items that are sold on Poshmark have never been worn before. Resale or your closet is a great way for someone to get started with opening up their business because you don't need to know anything. You don't. You just need to have the app and we guide you to list a sweater or a pair of shoes that you're not wearing. So it's inventory you have in your closet. Um, What happens though is once a certain type of person, once they keep going and they have the knack of selling, they run out of items to sell. So they run out of items in their closet and what we have launched is we've launched a special place in our app called the Poshmark Wholesale Portal and it's gated so only a certain type of seller is allowed in. Once you're allowed in, what we've done is we've partnered with about 60 brands. And we said, hey, brands, you know, we have a massive reach into mobile shoppers in America. And they're, and they're also sellers. And they're looking to sell more and more things. Through our portal, we actually connect these brands directly to our sellers. And the sellers are buying those items at wholesale and then selling them retail. So you're actually making the connection between, what's an example of a brand? So for example, like Whitney Eve is a brand that's on is on the portal right now. And so Whitney Eve and her team worked with our, our team here. And we selected about a dozen SKUs that we think would work really well in the Poshmark community. They uploaded them and, and then the sellers can come in and buy that inventory. For pricing. their boutique? For their boutique. Oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't yeah. know about that aspect. It's, it's new. It's only about 60 days old. So it's something that we're piloting right now. And just seeing, I think, the, the results of this have been overwhelming. I mean, it was it was a pretty big bet, you know, like, do women who sell their closet, will they level up and actually buy inventory to stock their boutique? And what we saw is, yes, they will. And they'll buy all sorts of inventory. So jewelry does really well. But we've also seen apparel does well. We have some more luxury pieces, which are also selling pretty well. And, and, and these sellers are paying for this inventory. So they're, they're making that commitment. So you're actually enabling women who perhaps started with selling their own clothes in their closet the opportunity to now become a buyer where they can say, I can sell 20 of those or I can sell 30 of those if they have an eye for it. That's exactly right. And that, in fact, that was our vision from the very beginning. But it's very hard to start there. I think a lot of people want to kind of open up their own store, but they feel like they don't have time or they don't have the know-how, Right. So there's a hundred steps you have to take before you can run a store. We already have 1.5 million who have taken the 99th step. Now we're just saying, okay, now here's different inventory, but the marketing of it, the listing of it, the negotiation, the customer service, everything that you've learned from your closet all still applies. It's just a new type of inventory. Yes, it's actually easing women into that transition so that they could be power users if they wanted to. I see it. It's it's almost like by adding this type of inventory in our platform, we have just with like the flip of a switch enabled the largest sales force 
for fashion brands today, right? Yeah. It, it's such a it's a crazy thing to think about, but we have 1.5 million women who know how to sell on our platform, and our platform's big enough where we can actually support the sales of so many of these brands. That's fantastic. So I just have one question before we leave it. Because I'm Canadian, I have to ask, any plans to launch in Canada soon? That is a good question. The answer is yes. Right now, Poshmark is U.S. only, and we do not want to remain U.S. only much longer. So I, I think that you should expect to see us in some international geographies within the next year. That's really exciting because I have a big closet back in Toronto that's waiting to get on Poshmark. <laughs> I'll look out for you. All right. Thank you so much. Thanks, Amanda. That was my conversation with Tracy Sun, co-founder of Poshmark. For news and updates at the intersection of fashion and tech, we invite you to follow Electric underscore Runway on Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat. The Electric Runway podcast is now available on Stitcher as well as SoundCloud and iTunes. And as always, you can see what we're up to at electricrunway.com. That's it for today's episode. Until next time, here's looking towards the future.